Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. Guest speakers are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial or Gateway Financial Partners. Content provided is for general information only and not specific advice. No strategy assures success. Delivering financial professionals' insights, thoughts, and cutting-edge strategies from industry leaders on how to build your most successful practice with the freedom of independence. Live from Gateway Financial Partner Studio at our Connecticut headquarters, we bring you Insights for Independence with your hosts, David Wood and S.J. Whittemore. Well, hello and welcome to today's episode of Insights for Independence. I'm David Wood and I am here with my wonderful co-host, S.J. Whittemore. Hi, everybody. How's your day going? It's great. And yourself? I'm spectacular. Perfect. So we are excited to have a guest on our uh, podcast today who is going to talk a little bit about his journey from corporate CFO to personal CFO. So we've got Neil Manning here. Neil's been a financial advisor with Gateway for the last five years. And uh, while Gateway hardly ever brings on rookie advisors, we, I think, certainly made an exception here. I think our average advisor right now is about 25 or 26 years in the financial services business. And we've actually got a couple of advisors who have been with us for North of 25 years, one who is 78 years old and has been in this business for about as long as I've been on this earth. I think 53 years he's been in this business. So it's very uncommon for us to bring on a rookie financial advisor, but uh, I would say our guest today, Neil Manning, was hardly a rookie. He was the former CFO of Aetna and prior to that, the CFO of Cigna. So he spent a lot of time on the corporate side, 25 years on that side of the desk and then made the decision to get into the retail financial services space, which had been a passion of his for a long, long time. So I think exciting about that. And uh, we're here to talk about the journey today. So welcome, Neil. Thanks, David. Thanks so for you, having me. So you're an actuary by background, right? That's right. Um, yeah, I started at Cigna as an actuary. Never thought about becoming a financial advisor at the time, but ended up as the CFO of Cigna's Medicare business. Um, went over to Aetna, CFO of their group Life LTD um, long-term care businesses. But um, about that time, I figured out that I didn't love what I was doing. It really comes down to the fact that I couldn't see how I was uh, helping anybody and uh, wanted to take everything that I learned about helping the corporations to make money and use that to help real people with their money instead. That's certainly a big change. So, uh, an, an actuary—that's a, a big change from an actuary to a financial advisor. Uh, yeah, it's it's a, a bit of a stretch for most actuaries who don't speak in complete sentences. But I'd like to think of myself as not the typical <laughs> actuary. And, and you know, you know, you can tell an extroverted actuary, right? Because uh, he looks at your shoes. They, look, they look at your shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Heard that yeah. one before. Just just saying, it. it's about the only actuary joke I actually mm-hmm. know. So, so tell us a little bit about your your journey from starting with kind of no clients to where you are today. Yeah, I think it starts with the first meeting I ever had with you. I don't know if you remember it, but it certainly um, is is very clear in my mind because I was talking to everybody I could find in the industry to try to find my kind of way into this space and figure out how I could build this business. And up until the point where I had met you, just about everybody that I talked to told me to go back to the corporate world because I had it, I had it so good. And why would I want to do this? Then I have a meeting with you. And you totally got my vision. You understood what I was doing, why I was doing it. 
Um, by, the, by the end of the meeting, you were uh, trying to find me some business cards, uh, fixing up my LinkedIn profile, and uh, it kind of took off from there. So early, early on when you had no clients, how did, how did you originally start uh, kind of positioning yourself? And I, I remember some of those conversations about coming up with your why because we start with why. So you, mm-hmm. I think, early on developed a strong why, which is, I think, one of the keys to the success you've had today was some of those early fundamentals. So tell us a little bit about the why that you set up originally and then how you started because I, I, I've talked to a number of other folks who are – or have come from the corporate background and the financial services side. I think it's an interesting transition because you're certainly, I, I say, bringing on a rookie. Uh, you, you'd spent a huge time in financial services, in essence, in the financial industry, maybe not specifically retail financial services, but there's mm-hmm. obviously a shift in that. But you had a tremendous amount of experience and knowledge, and I, I don't know too many people. And, and to go back to the beginning story was Neil uh, left, uh, left his corporate position and I think went uh, went to Italy for a couple of weeks for a much-needed vacation and came back. I think he studied for the Series 7 for a week and passed it. So I don't know too many people who can do that. And he followed up by taking the uh, 63, 65, Life Health, CFP. CFP. So he kept going with it, but he, but, he, but he ripped through that stuff pretty quick. So obviously he has a good acumen for the financial services industry, but but but... So let's go back for a second and, 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 and go back to your why and then go back to those early days uh, and, and, and talk a bit about how you started to get some clients originally. Sure. So my, my why really goes back to what I said before about it, it really is about helping people. And I feel like I could prove that to people and people really bought my story because I was leaving a, a great career with a, with a good salary. So I clearly wasn't making this move for the money. I was doing it because I wanted to help people. Uh, so I went back to all of the people I'd ever worked with. I just I just built off of my network um, and, and said, hey, if you trusted me as the, the person who helped you with your business financials 15 years ago, uh, would you trust me with your personal finances? And enough people said yes, uh, that got me going. And uh, since then, it's just been building off of that network, getting referrals off of that network. Um, I, you know, my, my goal was to never have to make a cold call. And so far in five years, I haven't had to. And, and how those original clients take what you did? I mean, you obviously had a lot of trust with you. So how, how was the original conversations with them? So you basically said, I have no clients. Come work with me. How'd that go? <laughs> um, amazingly, some people said yes. Um, I was really relying on the fact that, it, that, that people saw two things, that, that one, they trusted me, and that two, they figured that I was smart enough to figure out what I didn't know. Um, so that I'd go to the right people and, and, uh, and learn if I had to. And, uh, and I think it comes back to the, to the trust. They trusted that, uh, you know, that I'd do the right thing, and they trusted that I'd figure it out. And uh, as I said, enough people believed in me to, to, to take that chance. Now, a lot of people in the industry, um, especially when they're trying to grow their book of business, big things that are important, marketing, social media, things like that. Having started you know, later on after your own professional career in you know, a corporate type of environment, do you still feel like that's something that was important in building, you know, your own book from scratch, even with contacts that you knew? Yeah, I'd say, uh, LinkedIn was was big for me, and it actually came out in the first meeting with David. He said, "Get your contacts, your connections to 500 plus as soon as possible," uh, and and that was a great way for me to reconnect with a lot of the people that I used to work with, uh, and they 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 learned from that what I was doing now, and it may not have been an immediate payoff, but you know, years later, some of those people 
you know, showed up at my door and, and became clients. So I think uh, LinkedIn was big from day one. And then over the years, it's been uh, doing more on Facebook and some of the other platforms as well. But it's just about connecting with those people. So it's, it's you know, you, 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 you came or you left, you came here and you left corporate America with a giant Rolodex, which I think is half the battle. It's having the connections that people have talked to and then getting in touch with them. So I think that's where I see LinkedIn as a pretty instrumental tool for doing that because it allows you to market within the niche market that you had. What percentage of your clients today would you say are, are either folks who are currently working at uh, Aetna Signor or who have referred you to somebody who's working at Aetna Signor? It's probably 60% of my clients are either former or current employees or, or came through those kind of connections. Uh, so it's, it's definitely been my biggest pipeline. And that's a big, and that's a big, big number. And often when I look at the most successful advisors in our industry, they've always had some type of niche really, regardless of what that niche is. So I think the deeper you can go into those types of companies, or if there's disruption in there, so disruption from a corporate structure or a sale where it creates either layoffs or transition or uncertainty, all of that becomes a big marketing tool as I see it to, to, to get more clients. And if you're the guy who's there and talking to them over years, I think that that's, that's part of what can generate those, those, those people who have some interest in speaking with you at the time. Yeah. One, one of the things that's worked for me is uh, I go back to the Cigna office and I'm actually taking meetings in, in their offices. It's, it's a great way for me to um, make it convenient for my clients because they don't have to drive uh, to my office to meet with me. Uh, I get in the building with one person and then I connect with a bunch of other people in the off in, in the building to say, Hey, I'm going to be in your building. Let's have coffee. And then I always run into somebody that I haven't seen in a while while I'm there. And that sets up the next meeting. Does your key card still work? Doesn't. No, <laughs> I need, I need somebody Jeez. to get me in, but uh, it usually works out. Okay. Corporate security there is getting get somebody in corporate security there to, to, to become a client. That way they can reactivate your uh, your your key card. You'd be able to get all over the building for you. I hear you. But going back, going back is big. So I, I know when I started in in 1986 and in the early 90s when I was a retail financial advisor, I I, I did the same thing where I would actually spend time at lunch uh, in a corporation where I had a ton of clients. I would always wear a suit, so I stuck out like a sore thumb. Because I business casual so I stuck out like a sore thumb wearing the suit mm -hmm. but that inevitably just by showing up there on a regular basis uh, you are hard-pressed not to pick new clients up and I think it's the same thing there you're, you're seeing people that you have have uh, haven't seen in years and, and 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 they're curious as to what you're doing and why you're over there and why you're meeting with all their friends exactly exactly I'm still waiting for them to get on to uh, to my gig here and kick me out but they haven't done it yet that's great. And you also use events. So, I mean, I think events are, are, are an important part of your practice where you've mm -hmm. kind of created an event culture behind what you've done, which often can create another entry point for either coworkers or like-minded clients to get together. Tell us a little bit about what you've done on the event side to, to further strengthen those relationships with folks. Yeah, sure. Uh, right from the beginning, uh, one of the first things that I did was set up uh, monthly dinners at the Capitol Grill, which is one of the you know, the best local steakhouses here in Connecticut. And uh, at, the, at the time, I didn't have clients, so it was less focused on client appreciation and more just about prospecting, getting my message out. And um, th there were small events, maybe getting 10 people at a dinner to be able to tell my story. Uh, but the number of uh, clients that I have now that, that kind of came from that dinner, either directly or indirectly, it, it was, a, was a big part of getting me you know, off and rolling early on. 
And then since then, uh, I've done um, events on my own, events through Gateway, and um, you know, most recently over the summer, had 42 people at a Yard Goats uh, minor league baseball game here. Uh, people love the events, it's a, and it's become uh, a client appreciation thing. Most most of the people now are our clients, but it's also generating the referrals off those clients. And not only um, was the Yard Goats event your idea, which was great, but actually it was so successful um, within Gateway. We're actually getting like a larger location now, better menu, which was suggested. Mm, so, you know, you, just bringing more people there, people get so excited when they come and they say, wow, this is all for all for us. And you bring 42 people. It just it speaks a lot to it. Um but I guess I do have a question for when you kind of made that switch over to the financial services industry. A lot of people tend to, if they make a, a switch over to being an advisor later in life, they feel like it's hard to, to have that conversation and, and create that switch with these contacts that you've had for years, mm-hmm. you know, friends, family, you know, past coworkers. So how do you feel that you've navigated that, you know, instead of being like, hi, I'm a financial advisor now, you want to work with me. I know mm-hmm. you do. How do you, how did you find that conversation you know, with those people that you've had those connections with for years? It was surprisingly easy. I'm not uh, an extrovert by nature. I'm not somebody who is uh, always kind of out there networking before I made the switch. But mm-hmm. um, but really all I'm marketing is myself. And, and that was something I was comfortable doing and something that I was comfortable having a conversation with people about. It really wasn't selling. It was just telling them what I was up to and and if it was a good fit, I'd love to work with you. And uh, and and it was non-threatening to the people I was having the conversation with, and it didn't make me feel bad about uh, you know doing any high-pressure sales. And and it seems to have worked. That's great. I think part of it too is is when I look at the success you've had, you've also done it during what I would consider a difficult time to build a financial services practice because we've had an environment where the market has done nothing but go straight up, and people are happy because they're making money and complacent and are less apt to get a second opinion. So I think volatility creates opportunity in this industry. So you've really done this at a time where where we, we haven't had market volatility, we haven't had concern and other uh, factors that I think drive people to get a second opinion, which I think is pretty, pretty cool. And I think I haven't necessarily pitched people on the fact that I can get better returns than their current advisor. Uh, so I think it's because my story is more about service and the fact that their advisor might be getting them good returns, but they also haven't gotten a lot of service from that advisor. Or a lot of my clients were people who have tried to do it themselves um, and they've run out of time. And because they trusted me, they turned kind of it, it, it over to me. So I wasn't necessarily always stealing it from you know some other advisor. So from a pricing standpoint, those do-it-yourselfers, how have you positioned yourself from a pricing standpoint to talk about why they should work with you? Because the do-it-yourselfers are probably often looking for low cost. How have you positioned yourself differently there to, to capture those assets? Um, I actually found that the do-it-yourselfers, um, a lot of times we, we didn't talk about cost at all. It was about the, the value and the relationship. And since they didn't have an existing advisor to compare my costs to, that um, it, cost was less of an issue, I think, in those cases. I, I actually found when they were coming from an existing advisor, a lot of times they said, all right, Let's, as long as you can do it for what I was being charged or less. And I found the, that that was where the cost came into the conversation more, actually. And, and price is only an a, a issue in the absence of value. So I think you've also just tried to create a lot of value that Absolutely. didn't exist there before. And I would think some of that value is around the planning side. So tell us a bit about 
the planning. So you obviously you're doing investment management. What else, what else are you doing for those clients when you put that that CFO personal CFO hat on? Yeah, my, uh, my ideal client is somebody who wants me to take a look at the overall picture. I don't necessarily want to just be the investment manager. Uh, I'd love to do a comprehensive financial plan for a new client because it opens up a ton of other possibilities. They, they might have insurance needs. Um, I end up helping them with their college planning or adding value in a bunch of different ways other than just getting investment returns. So, uh, you know, my, my ideal client would be somebody who kind of opens up all of that to me so that I can figure out, you know, how I can add value in ways that maybe they didn't even think about. And when you position that, how do you get them to open up and tell us a little bit about more if, if I'm coming to you, how, how do you get me to open up to talk about all those different things? Um, not everybody is, is comfortable with it. So again, I'm not a high pressure sales guy. I'm not going to force people to share more than they're comfortable with, but I do tell them that, you know, the more information they can share, the more, infor- more information I have to be able to add value to, for them. So they, they usually understand that, you know, the, the kind of, um, good data in and you get good information back as opposed to, uh, if they, if they share or if they don't, if they don't share the, the it limits what I can do for them. And you're doing comprehensive financial planning, right? That's that's my goal with every client. But in some cases, they only want me to do a piece of it, and I work with them in whatever way that they're comfortable. Do you think for most clients you have all their assets, or do you have clients that uh, are still trying to do some stuff on their own? Again, I, ideally, I'd have I'd have everything, but I definitely have some clients who believe in um, spreading and diversifying their investments across multiple advisors. Uh, it's not my ideal choice, but uh, I do work with people in in that way. Uh, I do have some people who have their investments, uh, maybe a play fund that they still manage on their own. Um, but I'd say for the majority of my clients, I've got just about everything that they that they're investing. So, what do you see as the biggest challenge when you when you look at your move from corporate CFO to personal CFO? Wasn't what do you think the biggest challenge was that you experienced early on, and and what do you think the biggest challenge is today? Um, I'd say the biggest challenge for me is. Um, learning to, to hear the word no. Uh, so I was never in a position before to have to sell anything. Um, and you know, when you're dealing with people that you have relationships with, uh, not everybody's going to want to work with you. And uh, it's been hard, and I've had to talk myself into not taking it personally sometimes, that uh, it's either not the right time, it's not the right fit, they just don't want it. And, um, and trying to make sure it doesn't affect the relationship uh, which can exist whether they work with me or not. And, and I get that. It goes kind of back to what I said before with the market going straight up. There's a lot of complacency. So some of those no's are probably a not today. And, and I'm happy because if I'm a do-it-yourselfer and the market's going straight up, I can make money. I don't need help. But I think a lot of those no's, I think it goes back to the persistence. I think whether I look at Gateway on the recruiting side or a financial advisor looking for clients does no mean no or does no mean not today. And you've got to kind of separate that stuff out and take a longer term approach to it. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I picked up on a phrase that you said to me many years ago, which is dripping on people. Yep. And uh, I've got a quarterly newsletter, monthly economic update that goes out to hundreds and hundreds of people. And uh, they may not be ready to hear my story and, and work with me right away. But amazingly, you know, several years down the road, some of those people have you know called me and, and, and suddenly it becomes the right time. I think that goes back to taking a long-term approach to this and being organized with the 
data because I think we're we're in an industry where we've got a lot of data to follow up on and and I think part of that is having a good plan. Tell us a little bit about the planning that you you do and you've done in the past and some of the planning that you have on tap for for next year. Yeah, I'm always trying to improve my practice. So uh, you know, setting up processes so that um, I'm sending out client birthday cards and just thinking today, you know, I, I want to send out uh, Veterans Day cards next year for thank you for your service. Always trying to think of different ways to touch the uh, the client for next year and um, in, in the event calendar for next year is uh, another thing that I'm already thinking about. Different um, different things that we didn't do this year that we can do next year to get people interested and in, and in, and in back out and in, in connecting with me. And that, and that event calendar would be a combination of all of the events and touch points and and everything else. Yeah, I mean it's really a marketing calendar. It's going to be um, you know the the quarterly new, quarterly newsletters I mentioned, but it'll also be the annual gateway meet and greet. Um, the, I, I do some informal happy hours where there's no, no content, no education. It's just come out and have a drink and, and talk again, no, no pressure. And people seem to respond to that. So I know the first of every year we send out a survey to all of our advisors. And one of the questions that's on the survey is how many touches do you have with your clients a year? When they say a touch it would be any of those things. So a client event that they've come to, uh, a quarterly newsletter, monthly economic update, a card, a personal meeting, a phone call. How, how many? And and one of the things that we've seen is we've seen a direct relationship between the number of touches, which I would equate in some respects to service. The number of touches that are are uh, are built into an advisor's practice versus the growth and referability of the practice. And I, I think our 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 top advisors are in the are in the mid to high 20s. How many, how many would, touches would you say, if I'm an average a client of yours, how many touches would you say that you're, you're, you're giving that client on an annual basis? Yeah, even before you said it, the number that came to mind was, was 25, and that's for the people that I'm not working with. That's just the people on my distribution list that I'm dripping on. Uh, and then if you're a client, then you've got all of the uh, back and forth touch points of actually the, the service uh, as, as part of my uh, as part of my relationship as a client, so I'd say it's twenty five for non clients, and it's got to be in the thirties if you're a client. So that's a big number, and I think that that's I think one of the keys to 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 your success and how you've built that. And speaking of your success, I know we've talked a lot about where you came from and how you built your business and stuff. So reflecting back in five years, so how do you think that you've you've done as compared to you know what when you walked in the first day? Well. So when I first started, I put some projections on the page. It was, you know, it was t- kind of a shot in the dark. I didn't really know what to expect, but I, I, I had a growth pattern that I, that I wanted to follow in part to get my wife comfortable that I was on track and that that you know, this was still working. And um, and luckily, every step along the way, I've been ahead of those projections. So I think uh, you know, so far so good. That's awesome. Moving on up. <laughs> hey, happy wife, happy life. Well, thanks for being here today and. And, and kind of sharing kind of where you've come from. And I guess you, you kind of really did kind of move it on up, huh? Well, I couldn't have done without you, so I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being here today. Thanks, Neil. Thanks.
Charm, or you can 